1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on this Friday, and here is your top five at five. Stocks look ready to rally as the Dow and S&P 500 look to keep the profit party going. Big spending plans. President Biden said to propose the biggest jump in government spending in decades. Our big-time tax hikes next. Tesla gets hit from Consumer Reports, the organization dropping its top pick rating on the Model 3. What stocks are seeing the most insider buying? We know, and your exclusive segment is ahead. And get ready, the Indy 500 is back with fans in the stands. You're going to hear from both racing legend Juan Pablo Montoya and Indy Speedway president. So start your engines. It's Friday, May 28th. This is... Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Happy Friday. I am Brian Sullivan. All right, let us get right to it. It is the final Friday of the month. A reminder, you know it, but I'm going to remind you anyway. The markets are closed Monday for Memorial Day, so a long weekend. And ahead of that, we are seeing futures soaring. Look at that. Dow futures up 202. NASDAQ up 40. So Dow up a lot more on a number and percentage basis than the NASDAQ. But it looking like, all in all, a pretty strong end to the month. And it has been a pretty nice month so far. The Dow and the small cap Russell 2000 posting their fifth higher day in the past six. The Dow is on pace for its sixth winning month in the past seven. You go, Dow, look at that run in one year, up 35%. One reason bond yields continue to either stay flat or even uh, move down so let's quickly check bond yields the benchmark 10-year yield below 1.6 percent well no it's not at 1.61 percent but it's been flat for nearly two months what hasn't been flat is oil it has been hot it is up again a few cents right now oil up another five percent this week many oil and gas stocks and etf just continue to power higher by the way, as do gasoline prices. I paid four ninety nine in New Jersey the other day. And a quick crypto check: everything else is in the green. Crypto is not. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the major cryptos—they are the one thing this morning that is down. Bitcoin down about eight percent to thirty five seven twenty eight. Ethereum down ten percent right now to twenty four eighty three. Well, as we close out May today and head into the final month of the second quarter, let's get a check now on where exactly we stand and what's likely to happen the rest of the year. And welcome in Seema Shaw, Chief Strategist at Principal Global Investors. Seema, good to see you. One thing that we have talked about, in fact, we talked about it on this very program yesterday because the show is called Worldwide Exchange, is that the European markets are really heating up. Vaccination rates up, case counts down. Do you guys at Principal think that but Maybe globally, Europe and or Asia are better bets for stocks than the U.S. markets?
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. In terms of how we consider the, um, so I'm hearing a bit of an echo. Um, in terms of how we think about the U.S. and Europe, you know, Europe has been doing particularly well. As you said, the reopening trade is back on. We can see case numbers are down. And actually, this is a better result than I think many analysts were expecting. So what we're anticipating is that reopening trade produces a bit of a pop in economic growth during the summer months, and that will be good for equity markets. But what we're doing is essentially we're trading that vaccine curve, moving up, moving along as the countries do better on the vaccine side. So after Europe, we'd actually think emerging markets are going to do well. But through all of this, even then, we do think U.S. equity markets are still a good place a more stable place to be hiding out.
1: You know, so many, we have so many baby boomers in America, Seema, a lot of people that are that are either retired or retiring. Uh, The pandemic maybe has accelerated retirement. Point is, we've always heard for so long about this 60-40, you know, portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, make a little money, protect your assets. I mean, bonds have done nothing forever, Seema. Is the 60-40 portfolio dead? And if so, should it be what? I mean, 90, 10? What's the right makeup for our audience?
2: No, no, we don't think the 60, 40 is dead. And actually, even if we look over the last decade, that mix has really been a very stable. One, You know, if you're looking, if, if you're worried about the, the economic outlook, really, that, that bond side of it, the treasuries, the mortgages are the place to hide out. But increasingly, you know, there is no denial that the fixed income environment is really challenging right now. So instead, you need to rethink that part of the, 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 40, the 40 mix. Um, and increasingly, we think that look, you need to go up into the more emerging market debt. Think about high yield, think about preferred securities, um, think about private real estate. You know, these are the areas where you're going to get a bit of a pickup um, and then offset that with still some of that stability from U.S. treasuries and mortgages.
1: What's so weird, Sima, is that we're talking all the time about inflation. I mean, the numbers are there. I mean, I don't know what it's like over there, but over here, everything is more expensive. I mean, every commodity in the world is up in price. And yet, bond yields have done nothing if not moved down the last two months. I know they popped in late last year, but is the bond market sending a very different message than we keep hearing otherwise?
2: Yeah, it has been a really interesting development because as we came into 2021, a general view for the whole market was that we were going to see bond yields higher this year because of economic growth and rising inflationary pressures. And that did happen for the first quarter. But what we have seen now is that it feels like economic growth in the U.S. is hitting its peak. So you're hitting that peak acceleration. And if anything, we're seeing a couple of growth disappointments. And then on top of that, the the rise in inflation that we've seen is really down to transitory factors or at least factors that should be transitory. And then the third thing is that the Fed speakers have been out in force, really emphasising their patience. So that together, I think, is suppressing any of that potential rise in bond yields. But look, for investors, this is the one thing to remember, is that the Fed at some point will need to unwind their pandemic emergency uh, programmes. At some point, tapering will come in. And once they start talking about it um, a lot, that's when you're going to start to see that upward movement returning to the bond market.
1: Seema Shaw, Principal Global Investor. Seema, we've got a three-day weekend here. So i wish you a very solid weekend there as well. And we will see you next week starting on Tuesday. Seema Shaw, thank you very much. Have a great day.
2: Thank you very much.
1: All right. You're very welcome. All right. Right now, let's get some of this morning's top corporate headlines, including Tesla getting taken down a peg by Consumer Reports. Bertha Coombs joining us now with those. Good morning, Bertha.
3: Hey, Good morning, Brian. Let's start off with shares of HP Inc. They're trading lower this morning, even though the company posted better than expected earnings and revenues and offered an upbeat forecast. HP says at-home workers are still buying PCs and printers, while companies are also spending money on upgrading hardware ahead of office reopenings. Some analysts are blaming the drop in the stock on fears that PC sales may have peaked, while others point to the chip shortage plaguing the industry lots of industries. Tesla, meantime, losing top safety endorsements from Consumer Reports and the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, both groups citing the automaker's decision to exclude radar sensors from its newer Model 3 and Model Y vehicles. When Tesla announced that change, it said it would have to downgrade functionality in these cars, at least temporarily. Consumer Reports tells CNBC, It could return its top pick label to the Model 3 if Tesla restores that full functionality. And we're watching the so-called mean stocks again this morning, including AMC, that stock jumping more than 35 percent yesterday. It's up more than 10 percent here in the pre-market and now up 120 percent for the week, financial analytics firm S3 Partners says this four-day rally has cost short sellers about 1.3 billion in losses. And you know, Brian, a young friend of mine in his 20s said, "You know, for his generation these days, if a stock doesn't move 30% in a day, they're bored." He was joking, but it's not so funny anymore. Is he
1: joking? Was was he really joking? I, don't know. I don't know. I don't think he was. I think he said. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you know when people <laughs> say that, but they're not actually kidding. They need the money now. That's, that's how it goes. Doesn't sound too and bad. the excitement. Bertha Coombs will see in a few minutes. Yeah, maybe I'll see at the movie soon, Bertha. Thank you. We'll see in a few minutes otherwise. All right, look at that. Looks pretty nice, doesn't it? We come back, get excited. The unofficial start of summer has arrived. So what will New York City parks and beaches look like as we are coming out of covid The head of the Parks Department is here. And then later, the hack attack is back. This time on Microsoft, the company issuing a big warning. What's going on inside Microsoft? Eamon Javris has that developing story for you. Coming up right after this.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number
0: At least
5: that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
1: All right, welcome back. Well, Memorial Day weekend is here. Thank goodness. And COVID is on the run. Cases crashing all over the country. And with it, life comes back to normal for the most part as New York City parks and beaches are open and ready to welcome you back after being closed last Memorial Day during the hype, the COVID panic. Joining us now is Mitchell Silver. He is commissioner of the New York City Parks Department, and uh, we welcome him in. Uh, Mitchell, great to have you on. You know, and last year was obviously I a mean, so different story. We've learned so much in that time. We're glad that everything is opening up, parks, beaches, what's it going to look like? From, I, w- I wish, by the way, if you could do something about the weather, let us know. But other than that, what's it going to look like for the New York City Parks Department and, it's, and all the people going to enjoy it this year?
0: Well, after a very rough year, I'm so delighted to say that all eight public beaches, 14 miles, will be open starting tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. when lifeguards are on duty. So summer's back in New York City, and we hope people come out and enjoy themselves.
1: Anything special we need to know? We're making our weekend plans. What do we need to know, Mitchell?
0: Well, first, uh, we are going to have the beaches open. Uh, People do not, they're not required to wear face coverings, but we do encourage people to social distance. However, if they're going to use our conference stations or restrooms, they must wear a face covering. If they don't have one, we'll have staff on duty that will hand out those face coverings. Other than that, we want people to come out and enjoy themselves.
1: We did a story on the Shepard Smith show. Uh, we're showing the NBA. You got you know fifteen thousand fans inside Madison Square Garden. It does seem a little bit, Mitchell, like we're not seeing the the, the mask rules line up necessarily. Where do you guys stand? When, when are thing, I mean, how often do you readjust uh, some of these uh, requirements?
0: Well, we always listen to the CDC guidance. We also listen to the governor's office, and we work with the mayor. Uh, Because we're going to be outdoors, according to state guidance, if you social distance, you do not have to wear a face covering. You're outdoors. We want to make sure people keep that distance. Now, when they go to certain of our locations, like Coney Island, a lot of the concessions will require that people wear a face covering. But on the beach and in the water, you do not have to wear a face covering. Again, comfort stations or any indoor locations at our beaches, you will have to wear a face covering. That is required.
1: Yeah. It, the good news is we've learned that outside is, is not maybe 100 percent safe, but cause nothing's 100 percent safe. There are wasps and things like that, but it's but it's looking <laughs> very safe, according to the CDC. Uh, so when will you next reevaluate some of these indoor uh, requirements, Commissioner?
0: Well, we're always working with the governor's office and the mayor's office and health guidance. And as they get more information, we adjust uh, we adjust our requirements on the beaches. But right now it's looking good. Uh, again, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., never go into the water when a lifeguard is not on duty. But we want people to go out there and have fun. Weather's not great this weekend, but from Memorial Day all the way through Labor Day, our beaches will be open.
1: Yeah, if you could just, Commissioner, you know, j- jack up the temperature by like, I don't know, 15 degrees, that would be great. I mean, can you do that for us? It's going to be like 55 degrees. What's going co- What? Help us
0: out. Well, knowing New York City, I'm sure within the next few days, is going to start to increase the temperature. But the good news is we all know that Memorial Day is the official, unofficial start of summer. People will be out there on the beaches. I'm sure there'll be some brave souls. <laughs> They'll want to go into the water. It'll be tempting. But the bottom line is, you know, this is going to be a great weekend for people to come together. They're going to be outdoors. People are excited after a year of a lockdown. So I still think it's going to be a oh, yeah. great weekend out there at our beaches.
1: Listen, anything outside the way things are going is going to be better than last year. Get a couple of dogs on the beach in Coney Island. Commissioner Mitchell Silver, the New York City Parks Department, we're glad to have you on. It's a lot better this year than it was one year ago, Commissioner. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us here on CNBC.
0: Thank you so much, Brian. Well,
1: you're very welcome. All right. On deck, your top trending stories, including, what we just mentioned hot dogs. But there's some good news. For hamburger lovers as well but as we head to break check out a couple of big money retail movers ulta shares trading higher a blockbuster quarter more than toppling wall street's expectations retail boom continues for close as well the gap earnings and revenue topping estimates the retailer raising its full year guidance gap credit strong activewear sales and summer fashions shares Slightly lower, but come on, they've tripled in a year. Don't get greedy. And finally, Costco. Results there beating the street, no surprise. But the wholesale retailer did caution it is facing higher costs for a lot of things, including labor. All right, so much left to do here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures, they are soaring. Dow futures up 200. We're back right after this.
0: Today's big number. $525,037. That's how much the average American will pay in taxes throughout their lifetime, according to research by Self. That's an average of 34.4% of all lifetime earnings spent on taxes. Residents of New Jersey will pay the most in lifetime taxes.
5: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get
2: your holiday goodies there on time.
1: All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for today's top trending stories, including a pretty big about face on a certain popular video that got sold for exclusive use, but is now no longer exclusive. And we'll be back on YouTube. Bertha Coombs is back with... These stories and more. Bertha, what is going on?
3: These things are so confusing, Brian. The viral Charlie bit my finger video may not be leaving YouTube after all. The family of the most viewed video on the platform had intended to remove it after selling it for over $760,000 as an NFT, but the new owner of the 2007 video saying they've decided to keep the video up, stating that it is, quote, important to popular culture. How nice of them to do that. Meantime, Broadway will be back this fall. The awards, at least. The Tony Awards are set for September 26th after more than a year of delays. The nominations for the 2020 Tonys had been announced last year, but the ceremony was delayed due to the pandemic. And it is National Burger Day. Restaurants and brands across the country are offering special freebies. Wendy's is giving away free burgers today with any purchase. Burger King is offering a free Whopper with any $3 app purchase. And starting today, vaccinated customers at Shake Shack can get a free side of fries with their burger or sandwich. And if you need some soda with that burger, Pepsi is also offering a rebate for a free drink for anyone who posts a selfie on social media with a Pepsi and a burger today. Now, I'm, I'm hoping that also means you get one of the, uh, you know, Beyond Meat or Impossible burgers, right? That, that would be part of it.
1: I guess. So I'm going to ask you, Bertha. I mean, we've known each other for a long time. I like those. Uh, what's the Coombs Burger? What's the Coombs Burger? what's how do you do it
3: um you know i i've gotten into doing the beyond meat ones the beef ones are hard for me to digest but i'll do turkey as well but usually for me on top avocado 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 salsa or maybe a little bit of uh tomatillo salsa that is that's the bomb so you're
1: secretly a californian At heart. I mean, you basically (laughs) described the the, the California style burger.
3: Yeah, it's kind of California, it's also Caribbean. You know, my Caribbean roots, we love avocado.
1: That's it, we go to a barbecue. We gotta get a turkey burger with some avocado and maybe maybe Mm. a little spice for Bertha, we're gonna do that. That's the Coombs burger. I am just a straight up cheeseburger (laughs) with mayonnaise. Literally the most boring man in the world. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right, coming up, this is not boring. The hackers are back. A big story. They're targeting some Microsoft products. Microsoft making a big warning. Is your company at risk? Eamon Jabbers is up next on this developing story. But first, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast as well. Every day, if you're getting back on the road or traveling for the weekend, download the podcast. Check it out. Dow futures up, bitcoin down, we're back right after them. Good morning and big spending. The president wants to increase government spending by the most ever. So how much will taxes also have to go up? Markets on the way up, futures blasting higher again. But are better opportunities outside of America? We'll get a scorecard from London straight ahead. Plus, start your engines. It is Indy 500 weekend, and you are going to hear from racing legend Juan Pablo Montoya about fans back in the stands. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. It is Friday, May 28th. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Friday morning. It is 5:28 in the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. And it is the final day of the month as well. Reminder, the markets are closed Monday for Memorial Day. You knew that, but maybe around the world you forgot, so we're going to say it again. But ahead of the long weekend, futures, they are surging. Dow futures up 200 points right now, a very solid run on a number and percentage basis. NASDAQ futures not up as much percentage-wise but up nonetheless 51 points. Overall, this will cap off what has been a pretty nice run so far in May. Sell in May and go away? <laughs> I think not. The Dow and the S&B, or the small cap Russell 2000, posting their fifth up day in the past six, and I guess this is random but interesting. The Dow was on pace for its sixth winning month in the past seven. Up six of seven. Wow. Also up a lot? Oil, it has been red hot, and it's up again this morning. Not a lot, but still up. And we're up 5% this week for crude oil coming into the day. That move there, we're above 67. And many oil and gas stocks and ETFs just continue to power higher. Of course, gasoline prices are at seven-year highs, but you probably already know that. Still, crude oil back above 67 a barrel. And got to give you a quick check on the crypto markets. The volatility just continues on. We've had a kind of a stable to up last couple of days. Not the case right now. Bitcoin is down 8% to 35.5. Ether down 11%. The other big ones, XRP and Litecoin, they are down 12 and 13% respectively as well. You got to have Dramamine or a very strong stomach to be an investor in crypto right now. Well, right now, let's also go overseas and focus on how the global markets have been performing this month. Because... While the U.S. markets are making you some money, the European markets may be even a better bet. Because as Jumana Bersecci is about to tell us, they have been red hot as well. Is that TV hyperbole, Jumana?
5: Uh, You know, but I would just qualify your statement. I would say green hot because uh, there was a lot of green in European markets, not a lot of red for the month of May. But, you know, at the beginning of the month, it was looking a little bit hairy. We didn't think we'd uh, manage to end the month with so many gains. I'm going to start with Asian markets here. The Shanghai Composite in China, you can see by the end of the month, was actually up four and a half percentage points, still about three percentage points away from recent highs. But any index that had tech in it, Actually underperformed relatively. So Hang Sang, for example, in Hong Kong only up one point four percent of the month. Names like Alibaba, JD.com down ten percentage point ten cents Tencent down seven percentage point. The Hang Sang is still about seven percentage points away from its recent high as well. So it does tell you that the tech sell-off you guys saw in the US also had a bit of an impact on Asian markets as well Nikkei down up about 1.1% for the month one stock in particular that was in focus in Japan in May was SoftBank uh, those shares were down about 15% For the month. So that was one of the big laggards for the Nikkei index. The Australian index up about two percentage points. We saw a nice rebound in some of the mining stocks and, of course, commodities. It's been a bumper month for commodities as a whole. But let me take you to the European indices. Stock 600, not shown here, but as we speak, Brian, Stock 600 is making a new all time record high. So, very strong month of gains for all of these European indices. The UK index, the relative underperformer, only up about one percentage point. Keep an eye on what's been happening with the pounds. We've been steady and climbing versus the dollar, so it's about one forty two now. Remember, a lot of the companies in the FTSE are export-oriented, so that's capping some of the gains there. Caccahontes up three percentage points in France. They're boosted by a lot of the gains in the luxury space. Kering, for example, the owner of Gucci, up 15% this month. Uh, that is one of the names that we've been watching. Zetra in Germany, the industrial heavyweight, up 2.4%. We're not at the record highs, but we were just a few days ago for the German index. And then you can see the periphery indices, Italian and Spanish indices, also performing quite well, 4%, 4 4.5 percentage points respectively, capping off a really nice month of gains. And remember, the big theme for markets has been that rotation out of growth into value. There's a lot of value in Europe, and that explains some of the, uh, the the good performance we've seen in the stocks here, whether it continues next month We've got to see, but uh, definitely a solid month in May.
1: Well, it really has been. And is one of the biggest pension funds in America, the other day on this program, Jumana saying, suggesting in the way that they say it, it maybe around the world are better opportunities than the U.S. Jumana Bersechi, thank you. Have a great weekend, Jumana. We'll see you next week. All right. A huge change at the plant that makes the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, as well as the former CEO of Theranos, Who wants a big change in her trial? Bertha Coombs back with these headlines and more. Bertha.
3: Thanks, Brian. Shares of JD Logistics soaring as much as 18% in their Hong Kong debut after the company priced its IPO at the lower end of the expected range. This is the logistics arms of Chinese e-commerce giant jd.com. And the FDA and Johnson Johnson are reportedly set to announce that the contamination problems at the drug maker's COVID-19 vaccine plant in Baltimore are now resolved. This could allow for 60 million more doses to become available, the Wall Street Journal reporting an announcement expected within days. And former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes wants jury selection to be expanded, perhaps even a written questionnaire in her criminal fraud trial. Her attorneys are citing what they call widespread inflammatory media coverage, trials set to begin at the end of August. They said they found 3,700 instances of negative personal articles, Brian.
1: Wow. Yeah, I mean, see how widespread that is. Certainly the trial is going to be widely, widely watched, especially... Some of the talk about the spending and the, and the private jets and living at the Four Seasons as well. But I guess if I know that, maybe it proves their point. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. By the way, if you haven't, read the book Bad Blood, No Take Either Way by John Kerry. If you want to know more about Theranos, that is uh, maybe one of the best business books of the last few years. All right, let's now bring in Aben Javers, who is tracking two very different developing stories right now. First, The president wants to raise government spending to unprecedented levels, but also we've got Microsoft right now fighting off a hack attack. Let's start with the first story, Eamon, welcome in and Biden's plan to propose the biggest ever dollar jump in spending in part to expand the social safety net. What does he want from the next budget?
6: Well, he wants a lot more money from the next budget, that's for sure. Our colleague, Elon Moy, has gotten some of these details from sources familiar with what the president's going to unveil later today. We get all the details uh, from government officials throughout the morning and into the afternoon today. Uh, But here's what we know as of right now. Take a look at what uh, Elon has been able to put together so far on all of this. Uh, One is we're looking at about $5 trillion in additional spending over a decade. It's largely reflecting the American Jobs and Families Plans, we're looking at $3.6 trillion in additional revenue. That means tax revenue over a decade. That reflects the larger tax rates on the rich and corporations that Biden has in mind. By the way, that assumes the increase in the capital gains rate to 39.6 percent is retroactive and has already occurred in April. We'll see how that plays out. The net deficit impact here is $1.4 trillion over a decade. But deficit the deficit overall will start to actually shrink in 2030, under these assumptions, because the spending increases are temporary, but the tax hikes Here will be permanent as envisioned by President Biden. Now, remember that these budget plans are just proposals by a president. All of this has to be worked through Congress and so can look very different on the other end. But this is sort of the wish list. And it's a value statement by the Biden administration of what they believe in and where they want to go here. They are saying, in effect, we don't mind these high budget deficits because we think there's some spending we have to do right now that's important to build the economy long term. So that's a big assumption. There's going to be a political fight about that here in Washington, Brian.
1: Yeah, and I sort of uh, tongue in cheek said on Twitter yesterday, Eamon, uh, w- whatever you think about the budget, buy D.C. area real estate. Congratulations, Eamon. The, prop- the value of your house is probably soaring because every time government spending goes up, my hometown of Winchester, Virginia is going to be like a suburb of D.C. by the time all this is done. Not a political statement either way, just buy real estate in West Virginia. Let's transition. Because Microsoft right now is undergoing some sort of an attack, an assault by hackers. Uh, Tell us what you know. Is it an attack on Microsoft itself or an attack on the product Microsoft supports? So some of our viewers, you know, companies may be at risk. What's going on?
6: Absolutely they may and and you're going to want to pay attention to this particularly if you're in telecoms or defense because those are two of the sectors that Microsoft said are being attacked here. This is an email attack that Microsoft disclosed last night and it's the Russians again. Hitting about 3,000 email addresses at 150 different organizations, according to Microsoft's uh, blog post and technical specs they put up last night, it seems like a very tailored attack going after 3,000 individuals. Microsoft says that they first picked it up back in January of 21. They're disclosing it publicly last night, and you get the sense—this is just me reading between the lines—so you get the sense that uh, maybe they were working with some of the individuals early on, and now uh, this thing is getting bigger. And and bigger and they feel like they need to alert the public to it. Uh, the target here appears to be, according to some New York Times reporting this morning, uh, industry groups in the sort of uh, non-governmental uh, official area, the the nonprofits, the think tanks, and some of those areas around defense and foreign policy, and particularly areas that have been critical of Vladimir Putin himself. So this is uh, what looks like an intelligence-gathering campaign by the Russians to crack into the emails and therefore into the of 3,000 important people, presumably, uh, inside this sort of defense, foreign policy, and technical space mm. uh, in order to gather more information. Microsoft says the attack is ongoing right now, and that's why they're warning people. So if you're in that area or know anyone who is, you're going to want to pay attention to what Microsoft put out in terms of the technical specs of how this attack is actually going on, Brian.
1: That is a big and and scary story, Eamon Javers. I'm sure you're going to be on it all day here on CNBC. Eamon, appreciate you coming on. Thank you, my friend. You bet. All right, coming up, it is Indy 500 weekend, more than 100,000 fans back in the stands. We are going to hear from both racing legend Juan Pablo Montoya and the head of the Speedway about what to expect. So start your engines. The Indy 500 this weekend, Dow futures up 200 get to sleep in on Monday. Everything's looking up. We're back right after this. All right, well, to racing fans like myself, nothing says Memorial Day weekend quite like the Indy 500, known as the greatest spectacle in racing. It returns, thankfully, to its traditional spot in the calendar after moved to October last year due to the pandemic with no fans in the stands. But this year... The fans will be back at the Brickyard. Now, albeit at 40% capacity, but 40% capacity is still about 135,000 people in the stands. We had the chance to sit down with two-time Indy 500 winner Juan Pablo Montoya, and I asked him what it's like to ride with McLaren back again this year and what the physical toll is now as a, uh, let's call it, veteran of the sport.
7: It's exciting. You know, I had a couple of wins, like two, three wins with McLaren and F1 when I was there. So, you know, and I've won here with Ganassi and i won here with Penske. And it's the two teams I run with. So if you could come with a third team and win with them, would be would be pretty special. I really try to force myself always to do more. And, and it always yeah. seems to pay off. Um, the good thing is I've been doing endurance races the last few years. And, you know, you run, you know, three hours in the car, get out for three and drive another three and, so you spend a lot of hours in the car, so mentally, you know this is going to be kind of a short race for me, where for the younger guys, this is a big race and a long race. and so I think mentally I'm in a really good place, I have a lot of experience and you know honestly, the only thing that, that I think it would change and is what I told Pato, um, that is one of our teammates. I the, the big difference is if I hit, if we hit the wall. Tomorrow, you're like, oh, I'm a little sore. You know, for me, six months from now, I'm going to go, I'm still a
1: little sore. So let's talk more about the Indy 500 and the logistics of running what will be the largest attended U.S. sporting events as the pandemic began. Doug Bowles, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and he joins us now. What's amazing, Doug, and welcome, by the way. I've been to the Indy 500. I'm a huge racing fan. I mean, I've never been to an event like that. 400,000 people. It was just Mind-blowing. To hear 40% capacity is still, you know, one hundred and thirty-five, 150,000 people is insane. What's it going to look like? And by the way, welcome back to the month of May.
8: Yeah, you know, first of all, thank you. We haven't been racing at the Speedway in the month of May for two years, and we did it for 103 uh, up to that point. So, Oh, it's just going to look, I think, like a huge crowd. But we'll have some spacing between some folks, uh, and I, our fans that are here will obviously notice a the difference. There'll be a little more space between them. But I think, from a television perspe- perspective, as people watch it, it's going to look like a pretty darn good crowd.
1: Yeah. By the way, I, I, NBC kicks off at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. Just want to throw that in there, certainly, because we're all going to be watching. You got you got some of the youngest drivers. You got Juan Pablo, who we just heard from. He, you know, he's an old man at 42, I think, of what it is. Of course, Phil Mickelson proved you can still do it. You've got, I think, 11 countries represented. You had the traditional sort of carb day shootout. Some drivers didn't make it. I mean, it feels like, and I'm not saying this because it's on NBC or I'm a fan of whatever, it feels like IndyCar is really uh, kicking butt. I was going to say something else. Doing great right now, Doug.
8: Well, the NTT IndyCar Series is doing a great is doing a great job, and you touched on it quite a bit. There is a transition between the old guard, the Juan Pablo Montoya's, the Scott Dixon's, the people who we used to or were used to seeing win. And then a bunch of these younger drivers, there's a kid named Colton H- Colton Herder on the front row, Rena's VK on the front row. So a lot of young folks. So I do think there's a little bit of that transition. And Simona Di Silvestro, female starting in the Indy 500 with an all-female team. So the folks that go over the wall and service that car when it comes in, owned by a female. A lot of great storylines here in the Indy 500 this year.
1: Yeah, watching Renas win at, at Indy with his parents who sacrificed so much all the way up. I mean, literally his dad is crying on television Uh, This young kid from the Netherlands, pretty incredible story. All right. You know, we got to talk about it. We talked about the New York City Parks Commissioner, Doug, Uh, masks, social, you're outside. What, What are the rules going to be? There's wind. I mean, but what kind of protocols do we need to know about if our viewers are planning to attend?
8: Well, we are an outside event, and uh, but we are requiring folks to wear masks. We're, we live in Marion County, Indianapolis, and there is a Marion County health order that requires us, even in an outdoor event, to have those masks. So as people come in, we'll remind them to get their masks on. Obviously, when you're sitting in your grandstand, you've got your cooler and you're drinking uh, your beverage and eating your food. It's going to be a little bit challenging to do, but we'll have some mask ambassadors just continuing to remind people. That'll be the one thing I think people notice the most, the biggest difference in terms of our customers when they come. And I'm most worried about them when they get out of their seats and they're walking around standing in lines and concession stands and restrooms. Uh, so far, up to this point this month, our fans have done a great job of really trying to, uh, trying to help us out and uh, do what the city's asking us to do.
1: Well, it's amazing. And by the way, Doug, you know, this is only the second spectacle in racing. I think the first one, which I hope to be at, may be the SCCA runoffs the last week of September. But the, <laughs> We'll put that aside for a different conversation. <laughs> it's an inside joke. I, I really hope to be there. Doug Bowles, president of IMS, great to have you on. Good luck this weekend. To all Safe race number one. And, by the way, to any viewer that hasn't been there personally, please go. It's an awesome city and an awesome race. Doug Bowles, thank you.
8: Thanks for having me. you will see you then, runoff.
1: All right, absolutely. And go to St. Elmo's, get a steak, get some horseradish, whatever. Reminder... The 500 is this Sunday on NBC. Coverage kicks off at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Really, anybody out there, old man Dixon, maybe Montoya, Will Power is in the back. Can he move forward? A lot of great storylines. Look forward to the coverage on Sunday. All right. Up next, your weekly insider buying segment. And we have got one big name stock with some big time buying that name. (laughs) ahead. stick around. Time now for your weekly insider buying segment. One you're going to see only here on Worldwide Exchange. And instead of the usual five stocks at a Memorial Day, we're going to do just three. But they are three really interesting trades for different reasons. Here you go. The third most insider buying this week, a big name at a big company, Apollo Global. Now you had a few insiders buying 352000 worth. One of those insiders, former SEC chair Jay Clayton who now works at Apollo. Jay Clayton dipping in, being a buyer. Stock two, a smaller cap name, Berkshire Hill Bank, an insider buying 548,000 worth of the Boston company. By the way, buying into strength. The stock is already up 60% this year. Watch Berkshire Hill Bank. And finally, a biggie in many ways, AT&T. Four and a half million in insider buying. Now, that's a number of buyers. But two of those insiders—a tally that, CEO John Stanky and CFO Pascal Desroches. total spending by insiders four and a half million. All, of course, in the wake of the deal to sell off Warner Media. And get this: even though he has been an insider since 2004, according to InsiderScore.com, this was CEO John Stanky's first ever insider buy. Wow. Certainly a name to watch and what has been kind of a crusher of capital the last decade. But maybe AT&T is turning it around. We're going to find out. CEO, a big buyer. So there you go. The big three this week, Apollo Global, Berkshire Hills Bank, and AT&T. We do it every week here on WEX. All right. Let's welcome in our friend and CNBC contributor Jenny Harrington of Gilman Hill Asset Management. Uh, Jenny? I want to talk to you about the world because there's two things I like in no particular order. I like soap and I like spaghetti sauce. And I bring up both of those things because they are both made by a company you like. And by the way, CNBC headquarter neighbor, Unilever. Are there better opportunities outside of the United States?
4: There are amazing opportunities outside of the U.S., So we manage, and I never get to talk about this, Brian, so I'm so excited, but we manage our equity income strategy that's U.S.-based that I talk about all the time. And we also have an international income strategy. And in the last year, when our clients have given us a choice to weigh in on what the allocation is between the U.S. stocks and the international stocks, we've been recommending a higher than historically proportionate average um, to the international stocks because the opportunities are great. So the spaghetti sauce and soap, you're talking about Unilever, And um, Unilever also makes one of my favorites, Haagen-Dazs, but don't let my brother hear that. Um, So Unilever is an amazing company, and it compares really favorably to its US counterpart. So just looking at that one, you can take Unilever that has a um, 19 times earnings multiple, a 3.5% dividend yield, sells 60% of their sales are in emerging markets. So as the emerging markets and international markets continue to see economic growth, they're going to be a direct beneficiary. Or you can look at Procter and Gamble, the U.S. counterpart, also a great company, but a 25 times multiple, a two and a half percent yield. And the only reason that Unilever has those lower multiples is because they're not headquartered in the U.S., even if they are your neighbor in New Jersey. But the headquarters not in the U.S., and so they all have a discount. So yeah, I think the, the, US, the U.S. the
1: U.S. headquarters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the U.S. headquarters in New Jersey certainly Unilever there also. And I hate to say it because it looks like we're coming out of COVID. Let's knock on wood. Cases crashing, vaccinations up, but health problems persist. We got whatever you name it. We still got a lot of challenges after COVID as we did before. 5.8% dividend yield on GlaxoSmithKline. Have we ignored non-COVID focused big pharma stocks?
4: I think we have, but one of the interesting things is Glaxo is another one that's been in our international portfolio for a really long time. So Glaxo did get ignored because people were getting one of their big um, areas of revenue are vaccines, right? And so people weren't getting other vaccines. People weren't going to the doctors. So I think that that's been ignored, but it's also always traded at a big discount to its U.S. counterparts. So so if you take Glaxo, for example, like you said, 5.8% yield, 13 times earnings. Look at Johnson & Johnson, for example, 20 times earnings. 2.5% 2.5% dividend yield. And I did this a long time ago. It was interesting. I looked at what the breakdown was of the revenues from both companies that come from North America and outside of North America. They're roughly equal. So you've got two companies that are roughly equal in where they bring in their dollars um, at big, diverse product lines from both. But you have this huge multiple discount on Glaxo. So why? Because it's not headquartered in the US. That's really a great opportunity, if you ask me, particularly now that it seems like a little bit of love is coming back, love and appreciation is coming back into international markets.
1: And domestically, a name maybe like a Medtronic, MDT.
4: Right. So that's another one where if you want to think about what's maybe below the radar in the U.S., and I think one of the things that we've been hearing is when people are asking where the market's going to go, where the U.S. market's going to go between now and year-end, a lot of the talk is, oh, well, we're ready for a pullback, we're ready for a correction, blah, 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 blah. Okay, guess what? We're always looking at a correction. We don't know if it's a month away six months away, but something's going to happen. Everybody knows this. We don't know when, but it's coming. And then they say, okay, so where do you think the market will end at the end of the year? Oh, well, I think we'll end about where we are now. Call it up about 12% on the year. So that sounds really boring and really flat. Um, But the reality is, is if you look beneath the surface of that superficial flat market between now and year-end, there's so much to do. So one of the things we did last week was we sold our position in Sherwin-Williams, which we thought got stretched and was really expensive. And instead, we reinvested in three existing positions in our portfolio. One of which was Medtronic, which is um, which has 20 per- sorry 20 times earnings um, multiple, 5% free cash flow, 11% earnings growth, and has been yep. really underappreciated and should come through the pandemic well. So yeah, there's always something to do.
1: Great stuff, Jenny. As always, great names there. We got paint, we got spaghetti sauce, we've got uh, fat dividends <laughs> all around. Jenny Harrington of Gilman Hill. Have a great long weekend, Jenny. Thanks for joining us.
4: You too. Thanks, Brian.
1: All right. You're very welcome, folks. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. It is Friday. Dow futures they're soaring. We've got a three-day weekend ahead. Everything's looking up. You're welcome. Squawk and the gang are picking up the coverage next. We will see you on Tuesday. Have a great long weekend, everybody.